everybody, and welcome back to the Magic Fandom Podcast. I am Alyssa. And I am Malachi. <gasps> You're Malachi? Oh, because he's the only redhead? Yeah. <laughs> I gotta support the redheads. There's far too few. <gasps> I was wondering... Especially who, dudes. I was wondering who you were gonna be this week, because there's not a lot of men with redeeming qualities in the movies that we have watched. No, I mean, there's not many men with redeeming qualities in a lot of horror movies. Well, True. That is true. Um, but yes, Malachi was a ginger, so I get you yeah, having I gotta, to support. I gotta, yeah, I gotta stick with the ginger guys, because we are far underrepresented in, well, in cinema. Well, and Malachi is just straight up crazy. So, we're gonna get into it. Um, this week, we are continuing with our June series, um, with a Stephen King double feature. Yes. We are going to be talking about... Um, my mind just went blank. Pet Ch- Cemetery And Children of the Corn. And Children of the Corn. Now, um, which came first? Because I know they were both in the 80s. Uh, Children of the Corn was in 84, and Pet Cemetery I think, was in 89. Okay. Gotcha. So we, ro- we watched them in order then. Children of the Corn and then Pet Cemetery is the we order did. in which yes. we watched. Um, okay, cool. Well, I, I mean, I know this is going to be a shock to everybody, but I had never seen these movies before. <laughs> um... And when was the last time you had seen him? Um, Children of the Corn, it's been quite a while. Um, Pet Cemetery, I remember me and two, my two old roommates mm-hmm. uh, watched this because uh, Andrew, um, he had never seen it. And me and our other roommate was like, you've never seen it? <laughs> We're watching it tonight. And so we watched it. Did he like it? I mean, it was okay. Did he, I mean, but I'm sure is he likes horror movies, I'm guessing. More than you, I would say. Yeah, I'm sure. I yeah. mean, I don't think it's his favorite, but... Okay, gotcha. It's just a good Stephen King flicks. I will say that... Um, let me preface this first and foremost by saying that my dad is such a huge Stephen King fan. He had all the books on our bookshelf when I was growing up, and I remember seeing all the titles, and he would tell me about a few of them, but like... From what I've heard from him and all the like movie trailers that I've seen and all of this stuff, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be my thing because horror movies are, uh, or I guess in the past, have hardly ever been my thing. But having seen these two movies, I can say now that without a doubt, Stephen King knows how to tell a story. Oh, yeah. Like these stories were so, I don't know, rich I guess with detail and with, you know, all of these characters having been fleshed out and like, I don't know. I mean, it was crazy, mm-hmm. but they were, I don't, he is just a very, very good storyteller. Oh, goodness. We'll it's, get into it's it. It's all that cocaine. <laughs> Wait, he took, he did cocaine? I was about to say he Stephen, took cocaine. Stephen King? I didn't, I don't know anything oh, about Stephen King. Yeah, he's like, he wrote half of his books on cocaine. I did not know this. Yeah. I did not know this. Um, so Children of the Corn was a short story. Oh, yes. And it was first published in the March 1977 issue of Penthouse. So it was first released in, um, a adult magazine. Interesting. Okay. Um, and then it ended up in a, uh, collection of Stephen King's short stories called Night Shift that came out in 78. Mm Mm-hmm. And then um, Pet Cemetery was based on an actual novel. Yes, right? it was a novel that he did. Okay. Um, so, the gist of Children of the Corn, it basically centers around this small abandoned town in Nebraska that is, um, what's the word? Uh, populated by children. Mm. Um, it does. The opening scene does start three years before. Before, yeah, it didn't. It wasn't always that way, right? Um, they essentially they kill all the adults. The, the all the kids in this town kill all of the adults in this town. Basically, because one of them started talking with a demon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and he believed and made all of the other children believe that um, God was talking to him, right? I don't know that, that he was they, like God's servant. I don't know that they ever, because all the other, the adults, they were going to church, and you know they they yeah. 
that God. I think with the the main bad guy, um, oh crap, I'm blanking on his name. Who the other kid? Yeah, Isaac. Isaac. I hate Isaac. him. That's right. I only know his name because yeah. I hate him. Isaac. Um, I believe that uh, he basically said that that was a fake God, and that this God was the real God. Oh, I see. Okay, so he he who he walks believed... behind the rose was the real God. Okay, so it was not the God that everybody no no no, no. was I, familiar was, with. Yeah, it was a completely different entity I that see. he said they're all the blasphemers. Because well, there were like Bible verses everywhere in it though. Yeah, like, but he also was saying that like I mean you saw all the they were like xing out Jesus pictures and stuff like yeah. that. So they were all like. This is some of this is real, but some of this is made up. Yeah, they alter it to fit their narrative. That, that's exactly that's explicitly what the two adults that end up getting stuck in this town. Yeah, um, that's what that's, they say. that's what they're saying. That mm-hmm. they they like you kids are taking all these things and fitting making them fit what you want them to mean. Right, right. Which you know, um, there are people in real life that do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, sadly there is. Yes. Um, Okay, so I okay that makes more sense to me. I didn't realize that it was like two separate ideals. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but so it's essentially that all all of that aside, um, it's essentially like a children's cult. Would you it, say that's one hundred percent what it is? Okay, it's, it's class. It's like they in the description, it's called a cult of kids, a cult of children, a cult of children, which like in and of itself is scary. Children are a weird. Of, <laughs> a lot of children singing. Oh. Like hymns and stuff. Very creepy. So cre- Basically the entire musical score of this movie, maybe with the exception of like a couple of times, maybe when they're listening to the radio or whatever, that it's all like creepy kids singing. Yes. And I will say Pet Cemetery has a little bit of that too. A little bit of that too. I, I made a couple of comparisons between these two movies. I saw a couple of things in common and that was one of them. Was that like Pet Cemetery also has like creepy kids in it and also creepy kids singing in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Something about Isaac. Like Isaac was way more terrifying to me than Malachi was the whole time. Like Malachi, I guess Malachi was, like was the like brute. The, yeah, he was the muscle. Yeah. And Isaac was the brains or whatever. Well, he was the one that was originally talking to the entity. Right. He, they, they call it he who walks behind the rose. Which and we hear like, that right, so shorten that up to something. Yes, yeah, seriously. <laughs> How about Father Corn? Like <laughs> <laughs> Father Corn. Like he who walks behind the rose is such a mouthful. Um, but yeah, we we hear that phrase a whole bunch of times before we actually see who they're talking about. Because at the beginning, I mean, me again, I have not ever seen this movie. I don't know anything, or I didn't know anything about it going into it. And so when I kept hearing he who walks behind the rose, I was of the assumption that it was going to be a person uh. that like maybe in my mind, it was like maybe it was a person that we had met before mm. and then he is revealed that, oh, he's he who walks behind the rose uh, kind of a no, thing. Like it's might have been like the gas station old man oh, or yeah, something like yeah. that. And then he comes back. So that's they, what I was thinking. They kill him pretty good. Yeah, bad. Um, but it ended up being, like Dalton was saying, a, a demon, an entity, a whatever. A, a groundhog yeah. <laughs> sparkly orb yes. of light yeah um and Cloud like we said light. these movies were in the 80s and so any supernatural element is just real cheesy and i yeah. love it so much like that's why i picked both of these because they have some horror to it but there's also enough like weird bad cgi yeah campiness stuff that it's kind of campy yeah for sure and i definitely enjoyed that aspect of it but there were definitely some creepy moments in both of these movies. I would say, to me, out of the two, I think maybe, oof, I think maybe Pet Cemetery might have been scarier. I, I would, I would say that as well. Pet Cemetery's a little bit scarier. Um, and I know we'll get into it in a minute, but like Children of the Corn was more like weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it wasn't necessarily like there wasn't any jump scares or there really wasn't that much um blood and gore comparatively no um and so it was just a very weird and bizarre and creepy story whereas pet cemetery definitely scared me 
um, a couple of times and we'll get into it. But um, Children of the Corn first, any notable cast members you would like to shout out? Uh, yeah. So um, Peter Horton plays the main guy. Uh, he's probably more recognized from his uh, producing. Um, he was an executive producer on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, wow. Um, okay. He was a, a cardiologist in a show called New Amsterdam. He was in that for several seasons as just a cardiologist, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, what did we know him from? What you did were we like, know he him was from? in blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. And I can't I remember can't, what. I can't remember what. You're remember. talking about the husband, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, not husband. Oh, the boyfriend doctor. or whatever. Yeah. The main guy. The main guy, yeah. Bert, um, I think his I, name I can't was. remember. Oh, he was the dad in the Babysitter's Club. Yes, 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 yes. Who, yes. Which we've talked about in a previous episode. Yep. He yep, was yep. one of the dads. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, probably, uh, well, one of the biggest names in this is um, Linda Hamilton. Okay, which I don't know her. I don't, I'm not familiar she with her. She plays Sarah Connor in Terminator, Terminator 2, Terminator uh, Dark Fate, Terminator... Oh, so she like, was, she was I mean, Mrs. She's, Terminator. <laughs> well, no, she was... So, in the first Terminator movie, she was who Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. He, She was who he was sent back to kill. Oh, okay. And in the second movie... They're in love? No. I'm just making he's things pro- up. He's protecting her. Maybe we should do a Terminator series. Maybe. There's, there's a bunch of those. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, and she was also in Dante's Peak... Um, yeah, but very, uh, recognizable, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, that's what she's most well known for is, uh, Sarah Connor in various Terminator iterations. Okay, cool. Um, next up, the other really adult character that we see, see is Deal, uh, who is the gas station attendant. He's mm-hmm. played by R.G. Armstrong, mm-hmm. um, who was in Dick Tracy he was in uh, El Dorado with John Wayne. He was in The Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, wow. Um, so, he very uh, long career. And um, he, he's only got the one scene in this, and then he dies. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, and, um, okay, here's, But it's a good scene. It is. It's a very good it, scene. That's he, what I was going to say. He, he becomes very likable. Right, and he provides the audience with a lot of exposition. Yes. And a lot of information. But I will say... I get that he that he omitted some information for the sake of the story, but I'm like, why not? Like, why are you being so vague about it, my dude? Yeah, like, outwardly say. Well, no, that's what his he had a deal with the kids and the entity that he would send people away from Gatlin, and in turn, um, he would also provide fuel. That's why he had no fuel. He didn't actually not have any full fuel. He just didn't sell it to them. He gave it to the kids. The kids. And then he was like, we won't kill you if you do this. Okay. I mean, I get it, but it was just like, come on. So the only two other characters that I will address as far as like the cast, because it's mostly just children. Yeah. They're kind of running Crazy around. Crazy kids running around Crazy with weapons. Crazy kids running around. Uh, Isaac was played by John Franklin, mm-hmm. who was actually 25. Um, Crazy. During the filming of this. Um, he was terrifying. Just his voice and his eyes and like... The very, his very first scene when he's in the window with the stupid hat from Urban Outfitters. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like even that, like he... When they're I, all in the diner. Yes, it's just three... Yeah, it's three years before. So this is when it first happened and they started killing all the adults. I did not know a thing about this kid in that scene. And I'm like, he is terrifying. Just his whole look is terrifying. Uh, um, oh, well, he also played Cousin It in The Addams Family and Addams Family Values. In the, okay, so I was going to say the movies, the not movies, the show. The movies, yeah. The okay. 91 movie and the 93 movie. And then he reprised his role as Isaac in Children of the Corn 666. Isaac's Return, which I believe was the sixth movie. So they There's, actually got him back. They actually got him back, yeah, because you think he's dead in the first movie. You think he ends up getting killed, but yeah. he, he comes back and. So a, what year was that? That was in 99. So that was like, was okay. that 15 years later? So he was like mid 30s at that time or um, 40s. 
It's 25. I can't do that. Yeah, he was probably 40. Right around 40. Wow. Um, and then the last uh, cast member I will address is uh, Malachi, who's played by Courtney Gaines, um, who was in Back to the Future. What? Yeah, he was in Back to who the Future. Who did he play? Dixon. <gasps> Wait, he was one of Biff's flunkies. Yes. He had a buzz cut. Uh-huh. Oh my god. I knew look, I knew watching him in this movie, I was like, he has been in something that I have seen and I cannot figure out what it is. That's what it is. He is also known for the Burbs with Tom Hanks and Can't Buy Me Love are uh, oh. are some of the bigger uh, I've seen that. his most well known roles. Yes. That is craziness. Um, he, he has been in a, a, a lot of horror movies, but they're, you know, I mean, they're the B and C horror movies. When you find your niche, horror, yeah. you got to roll with it. Um, I know you said that was the last cast member you were going to talk about, but Job and Sarah, should we talk about them? Job and Sarah. The two kids. Oh, they're, those two kids mm-hmm. were like in nothing else. Oh, so I this was it. Oh, no, except for the girl. Except Tell them. for the girl. The girl was in. Tell them because you told me. Oh. Can I just say it? Because I know it. Yeah, you, you tell me. She was Kathy Santoni from Full House. Oh, that's right. She was Kathy Santoni from Full House. And, and in Fuller House. She was like She's the mean girl. She's been in more than the kid that played Job. Um, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I looked him up and like it was like his only credit. And I will say, I know we kind of talked about the plot or the um, idea behind this movie. But Job and Sarah are the only two kids in this town that... Uh, are not part of this cult. Um, and it was because, or you can explain this better. Uh, that's a lie. I must be thinking about somebody else. Who? Because he does have uh, several credits. Oh, oh, Job? Job, yeah. He just doesn't have a picture on IMDb. Ah, and the last so thing not he, real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last thing he did, I think, was in 90. Okay. Yeah, 1990. Um, well, can you explain to the people, because you, you would probably explain it better than me, why Job and Sarah are not a part of the cult? So Job and Sarah um, were not so on the day that all the adults ended up getting killed. Actually, I guess it was the day after. Um, all the children were in the cornfield with Isaac, um, except for Job and Sarah. Job went to church with his dad, mm-hmm. and Sarah was at home, really sick. sick. Um, so it must have been the day of then if it it was the day after then the parents would have been dead it must have been Um, yeah because he said after church we went to the diner whatever the guy's name was and he immediately went to call Um, so yes uh, so that's the reason why they are not they they stay in the town because they're kids and Mm -hmm. the children didn't kill the other children yeah. But they really weren't part of the cult thing because they weren't out there when all of this stuff went down. And they're kind of like... Um, they're the narrator. Joe I was going to say, they're, they kind of tell the story to the audience. They're like the bridge between the audience and this crazy group of kids because they're kind of on the outside looking in. And thank goodness for them because when the adults come around, they're them two are the ones that help them... Through it. Yeah, and so give them two adults the story. are driving along and through a crazy event they end up getting stuck in this town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Can I just say What's that? The guy, um, what's his name in the movie? Bert mm-hmm. makes the majority of the decisions in this and the girl is like, Okay, whatever. It's their their boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Um he makes such terrible decisions. And I am going to say the exact same thing about the main character in Pet Cemetery, Lewis. These two men continuously make the dumbest decisions of the whole thing. Like, the beginning of this, when they're first in the town, Bert and, uh, what's his girlfriend's name? Vicky. Mm-hmm. They have so many opportunities to get in their car and drive to but Hemingsfield you, or wherever. You do realize they made the turn to Hemingfield. The entity was looping them. Yes. No, like I understand. They, there, there was never, they were never going to make it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely understand. But there's like, the, like, 
so many opportunities to like turn around and like just figure it out and like just run or something like he made so many decisions that I was like what like they go into the house and nobody answers and she keeps being like okay let's go let's go okay no one's home let's go and then they get introduced to this this idea of kids killing adults and he still sticks around I'm like hello I don't know. I just, I got very frustrated with both of the main characters in these movies. I was like, especially Lewis from Pet Cemetery, though. That's like well, a whole I other mean, level of stupid. And that's, but again, with that one, you're dealing with a type of emotion that I've never had to deal with. Right. Absolutely. And I, I guess no one, no one knows what they would do in that situation until they're in that situation. I get it. However, he he made he made that mistake and saw the repercussions and then made it again twice. I mean, you're not wrong. We'll get to that. We'll in get a to Let's it. finish up we'll with get Children to it. of the Corn. Um, <laughs> um, what did so there's not a whole lot of kills in this really. There's a lot right at the beginning when all the kids kill all the adults mm-hmm. in, in this town. Yeah. Um but other than that, there's not really a whole lot of killing going on. No. You do find out that the children are a, a sacrificial cult. Yes. So when, when you turn 19, mm-hmm. um, you sacrifice yourself to this entity mm-hmm. uh, because you are no longer a, ch- a child yeah. of the corn. Yeah. So. And we get that... Um, like, I don't know, we get that kind of part of the cult exposed to us via this guy named Amos, I think his name was, yeah. that it was his birthday and, and they he, were in he church. Was super excited. So excited. To, and which is like, I guess if this was only three years after it had happened, it's weird that some of the older kids would have just gone along with it. You know what I mean? There are young kids you that gotta, were impressionable. You realize that they all saw he who walked behind the rose that day in the cornfield with Isaac. So they all know that this entity is real. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, we'll do whatever you ask. Yeah. I mean, yes, they are impressionable, but I mean, if you saw a giant glowing entity that told you to do things, you'd kind of be like, oh, I guess, I guess. Um, I have a couple of fun facts. Um, I pulled just a few from each, but um, this is an interesting one. When asked by a fan how the effect for the He Who Walks Behind the Rose was created, mm-hmm. special effects artist Wayne Bo- Beauchamp, Beauchamp uh, revealed that it was accomplished thanks to a special device called the turtle. A wheelbarrow bucket flipped upside down with added wheels. <laughs> The device was set in rails on a trench attached to a pulley system connected to a tractor. Okay, are you with me? Interesting, (laughs) yes. Then covered up in a tarp with a layer of dirt and vermiculite. Okay. I don't know what that is. It's like, uh, I think it's like compost and fertilizer mixed in. Um, The tractor would pull forward and the turtle would move beneath the tarp, creating a mound of earth that traveled from one point to another. The trench ended in a sharp hill, giving the illusion that the creature beneath was diving deeper into the ground. Beauchamp added that the trench itself was dug by a local group of Boy Scouts who were interested in learning how films and special effects were made. Huh. Isn't that great? That's crazy. Did you hear the ending? Yeah. Okay. I just thought that was so cool that like a bunch of Boy Scouts were like, hey, we really want to help. Like, yeah. they were the ones that figured it out. That's cool. Um. Um... Do you have a favorite part of this movie? Uh, I don't know. It's so short and quick. It is pretty short. That it's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of enjoyable. You know, I was talking with somebody at work the other day. Or was it at work? I don't know. I was talking with some, Was it you? I don't know. I don't know I don't what you're about to say. But I, we were talking about how movies have just gotten, like, so much longer. Mm. And it's just, I don't know. There's just something about it, like... There was something too, you know, growing up when movies were 90 minutes. Like it was yeah. an hour and a half and it was done. And jam-packed. And, and jam-packed. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, well, we'll make it, you know, like two hours and 15 minutes and we'll drag things out. 
Right, and then... It's like, all right, guys, let's just cut 20, 30 minutes off I was of this, say, and it'll be so much better. In some, in some instances, those longer movies have, like, a handful of really boring scenes where nothing happens. And in movies like this, that are only an hour and a half long, you have some action happening in every single scene. So um, I definitely understand that. Um, okay, so I don't know if you are familiar with this, but um, Stephen King, and I love this because I used to read books that did this as well. Um, Stephen King puts Easter eggs from his other books into his books and movies. Did you know this? Mm-hmm. You did? Yes. Um, because he he puts like just little tiny things like locations or like somebody mentions like someone down the road that this, this, and this happened mm-hmm. to. And it was one of Stephen King's other stories you, well, kind of a deal. This one... Or were you, are you about to say what this one was? Also Hemingford? Mentioned. Oh, Hemingford. Yeah, I was talking about Gatlin itself was mentioned in another. Okay. Which one? It. Okay. So they talked about Gatlin in uh, the It book okay. and well, series. Um, this fun fact says the safe goal of Hemingford that the main characters are trying to reach is the same place the heroes of The Stand are also drawn to in their oh. dreams. Um. So, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting, and he's known for doing that in his books. I think there's one like that in Pet Cemetery as well that okay. I wrote down. Um, but I just, I love that. I read a series of mystery novels when I was in high school that did that too, that um, just had a character just casually mentioned. There was like one sentence about, oh, yeah, I knew this girl from school, and her brother, you know, did this, this, and this. And I'm like, mm. oh, my gosh, that was the other book. Like, it's just exciting yeah. as a fan to, like, pick up on that. I just thought that was cool. So this movie spawned more sequels than any other Stephen King movie. Children of the Corn? Oh, or I not guess. not movie. King film, yeah. So Children of the Corn, I... So I said Isaac's Return was 666, which I believe was the sixth movie. But I think there was another two, and then they have since rebooted it. Okay. Um, so I think there's like, there's got to be close to nine, I think, films. Oh, wow. That's so um, many. Yeah. And um, I'm sure not all of them are great. I'm sure not. Um, okay, you will enjoy this. Uh, Courtney Gaines, who is Malachi, mm-hmm. um, he won the role by using a prop knife to hold a casting assistant hostage at the audition. That's cool. Uh, not cool. Like, I feel like I would press a lot of charges Like if that happened to me. Um He said he claims that one of the greatest honors of his career is having hundreds of people, even his son's friends, recognize him as Malachi and confess that they found him terrifying. Some having admitted his performance even gave them nightmares. Apparently, even his own parents were greatly unnerved by him in this film. That that goes to show that he was doing something right. He's he's doing a good job. If he's even got his family like, um, you don't really believe you're in a... Right. Do cult, we need to worry cult? about you? Do we need to hide the knives? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he did. I mean, he did do a really good job. Him and Isaac have that real murderous child look about him. They do. Ooh. Even though Isaac was 24. Goodness. All right. I have one more fun fact about this one. Do you have any more? Uh, I have one, but you go ahead and say yours because it might be the one I Okay. I um, so the final scene. Do you remember what happens in the final scene? They finally get back to the car. Oh, yeah. It's nighttime. Yeah. Um, so the final scene with the protagonist returning to the car and being attacked by Rachel. No, is that her name, Rachel? The yeah, the uh, the, the girl, the, the teen. girl, te- yeah, the teen girl that was leading the church sacrifice, and she was hiding in their car. Yes. Okay. So being attacked by Rachel wasn't in the script. It was added shortly before filming wrapped for one final scene. Oh, sorry, for one last scare. Mm-hmm. Linda Hamilton complained to... Uh, Linda Hamilton was the girlfriend? Yes. Okay. Linda Hamilton complained to the producer that it made no sense for them to go back to the car and it made the characters look stupid, to which the producer, Donald P. Borchers, replied, we want the audience to think you're stupid. Yeah, that's the point of horror So movies. I was correct in thinking that they were dumb the whole time. Like, yeah. <laughs> the whole time I'm like, you're such an idiot! Just... Just run away! Like, there were so many options. Um, but yeah, I guess they wanted them to look stupid and mission accomplished. Yeah. Uh, so, Stephen King was actually, uh, in the uh, original theatrical trailer, his name was misspelled. Uh, they put S-T-E-V-E-N v- instead of P-H. That's embarrassing. Yeah, right? A theatrical trailer, that, I mean, that's embarrassing. 
Uh, and as to top it all off, in case you haven't read this short story, I suggest mm-hmm. you go read it because the ending to the movie is way more upbeat than the story. Really? Yep. What happens in the story? I'm not going to tell you. Oh. If you want. It's a short story. Just go read it. But it's weird that they changed the ending. They changed a lot of endings in Hollywood to make it a little bit more palatable. I guess. Especially back then. Like, I mean, compared to Pet Cemetery, Yeah. It's a, a, it's a quote-unquote good ending. Yeah, because they get away, and they've saved the two kids. And that was kind of the thing. Like, you really didn't... It wasn't really... I mean, I, I'm sure I'm wrong with this, but from what I recall watching old stuff, there wasn't really a lot of just like, well, this is a terrible ending. Yeah. Movies until a little bit later. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, which will just lead us right into our next film that we're going to be talking about, yes! Pet Cemetery. Okay, I, I will <laughs> Spoilers, say... Spoilers, terrible ending. <laughs> absolutely horrific just in general but the ending was so uh i mean i don't know that it was terrible because that makes it sound like it didn't make sense or it was a stupid movie which it was not i think it was just really really frustrating as an audience member to watch um and we'll we'll get into it when we get to the very end but i know i just said that pet cemetery was scarier than children of the corn but i enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Children of the Corn. And honestly, this one might be a little bit closer to the novel because Stephen King actually wrote this screenplay. Yes, I noticed that too uh, because so he did not write the screenplay for the screenplay. Children of the Corn. He wrote the short story and I think he had some input, but somebody else wrote the screenplay for yeah. Children of the Corn. Yeah. But he actually not wrote only did he write one. the novel, but he, he wrote the screenplay for this. And again, such a good storyteller, such a good writer in general. Which is probably why. It may be because... He's like, no, 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 y'all messed up Children of the Corn and, <laughs> yeah. and changed the ending. Yeah. We're not doing that. Anymore. Yeah. Which I mean, maybe I don't know because, if they did or not, I mean, these I were, read. well, these were both in the 80s. So it's, you know, it could be presumed that he was not um, appreciative of what they did with Children of the Corn and wanted to do something different. But I, I really, really enjoyed this story. Um, having said that, it frustrated and it scared the heck out of me at the same time. And again, that is a testament to his writing style because it is so good and so strong and so powerful and so, again, so detailed. Like, um, I'm jumping all over the place here, but Rachel, the wife, her whole backstory with her sister. Oh, yeah. Like, and that was complete. Obviously, it gave more depth and more darkness to the overall story. But like, that was just like a side plot. But -hmm. there was so much detail in it, you know, like it. He just does a really, really good job with all of that. And um, I know you have a fun fact about uh, who played Rachel's sister because uh, it was terrifying. I hated those yeah. parts. Her, her sister is not played by a girl. It's no. played by a guy in, in, um, in it very was, creepy makeup. Yes, it was originally intended to be played by a girl, but all of the girls that had auditioned were, quote, not scary enough. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, okay, let's put a boy as a girl. Prosthetics and makeup. Yes, because they said that the boy, um, the the boys who auditioned were um, more, they were more into the like horror aspect and Mm -hmm. the gory aspect. And they were not afraid to be ugly and hunched over and whatever. And all the girls that auditioned were very like pretty and poised and like whatever. And that's not what they wanted. Yeah. And so they hired this guy to be, to play Rachel's sister Zelda and he did a good job because it was terrifying. He was terrifying. Oh my gosh, it was um, so scary. So we'll run through the cast list real quick. Uh, so first up, we have the dad played by uh, Dale Met- Midkiff, um, who plays Lewis Creed. Um, he was in an episode of Castle, which we are currently <gasps> watching. He played Sheriff Conklin. Which cool. we just watched that episode not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know, probably. Um, I'm not seeing. He looks like he. I mean, he's been in a lot of like CSI Miami, Dexter, Criminal Minds, Lie to Me. He's been in a lot of like crime cop, shows, cop crime procedurals. I mean, he's good at the drama. 
for sure. Um, next up we have Rachel Creed, the wife, played by Denise Crosby. Um, the epitome of 90s glamour. I know that this was made in 89, but still, she was very, like, yeah. 90s mom aesthetic. <laughs> she also, a lot of... Uh, she was also in Castle, weirdly enough. Uh, she, weird. She plays a doctor in Castle. Um, oh, yeah, a lot of procedural stuff. Okay. Um, and, oh, yeah, my gosh. I that's really that I would remember her from. I know we're going to talk about the daughter first, but we know the son. Oh, yes. Uh, the daughter played by Blaze Birdall. And? And, oh, what's the other one's name? Oh, something weird like that. Uh, Blaze and starts with a B. It does. Uh, Bo Birdall. They were twin girls that were hired to both play Ellie. Um, not unlike the Olsen twins. Yes. Who our next character... <laughs> has worked with. Has worked with. <laughs> Miko Hughes plays Gage Creed. Um, and he... Played. Um, oh gosh, what was his name in Full House? What was his? He was name their friend, Aaron. Aaron. That's okay. Exactly right. He was Michelle's friend, Aaron, from school, and he was this cute little boy with like chubby little cheeks, and he was in a ton of episodes. And he was always like sassy. Yes. He, was always, he had like, all the sassy smart lines. Smart aleck. And, yes. Yeah. Um, um, and he was teeny tiny in this. Also in uh, a, a bunch of horror stuff. Yeah. He was just over two years old when they filmed this. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So he young, was little. And I mean, I thought that he was small in um, in Full House because he was like, what, four or five in Full House? So he wasn't really that much long after, um, that much longer, excuse me, after Pet Cemetery. Um, but he was so cute in this mm-hmm. until he wasn't. Until he wasn't. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Victor Pascal. Played by Brad Greenquist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been in Ali with uh, Will Smith. He was in Water for Elephants with... Okay. Uh, I think Michelle Williams was in that. And what's the dude, Twilight guy? Robert Pattinson? Robert Pattinson. Um, he was in the Lone Ranger movie that Johnny Depp was in. Okay. Um, yeah. Love he, it. No really recognizable face, but probably... At least to me, the most recognizable face in this show uh, was play or was Judd Crandall, mm-hmm. played by the wonderful Fred Gwynn, um, who was in Car Fifty Four. Where are you? He was in My Cousin Vinny. Oh uh, yeah, and he's probably most notably uh, known for portraying Herman Munster in The Munsters. Which I used to love watching. Yeah. Growing up, I would watch the monsters all the time. Anytime I, I have saw never it on, seen I would watch the monsters. Even one part of it. Uh, we'll definitely have to watch some because uh, one of my favorite horror movie directors, Rob Zombie, mm-hmm. uh, and artist because I like White Zombie and Rob Zombie's music. Um, he is. Uh, I, I believe they just finished wrapping up filming. Mm. A Monsters movie. Yep. Um, I did know is, about this. If you know Rob Zombie, you were like, oh, it's going to be horror and scary. No, it's PG. It's family friendly. It's not like any of his other horror movies. Like, But uh, I'm sure it's going to have his style. Like. It probably will. Um, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, totally. I, I've been following. He, he's been posting lots of pictures and stuff and, online about uh, the filming and stuff. And so I'm really excited to, to see that. Well, and um, like I said, I am not familiar with the monsters, and so this was my first introduction to Mr. Fred Gwynn, and he is a wonderful actor. He is huge. He's six five. Yeah, he is. He He's is got massive. A giant head mm-hmm. and nose and nose. Mm-hmm. Very distinguished features, but his voice he is such a is good. So uh, he is so good, and maybe it was because of this character. Because you felt for him. Like, obviously he has a history with this cemetery, but not only that, he, um, I think he actually has a line about it. That yeah, he's he, like, um, he, again, has had to witness all of this in well, this town. Yeah, he's seen, he did it himself. Yeah, he yeah, took yeah. Something up he's there, done, so. yeah, he's done it with his dog. And that's what, um, that's how he directly ties to the cemetery. But he said, he has a line of like, 
Um, oh, it's after um, the lady dies, after she kills herself. Um, he says, you know, it, it ain't right that God took this woman so young and he's letting me live on and on and on or something yeah, like that. Yeah. He's like, I've been here for however many, whatever. And so, I mean, you just feel for him. He, this is, it's such a good character. And, and he protects this family. He also kind of starts it. I was about to say, he kind of <laughs> starts it. Well, let's just, yeah, go, let's, go over the plot. Yeah, go over let's the plot. just get right on into the plot. So this plot is, uh, basically centers around a doctor and his family moving to a new town. Uh, oops, sorry. Bump the mic there. Uh, <laughs> m- uh, move to a new town, move into a house that's right on a busy road that is, has big rig tankers. Flying through. Flying through. And we see so many of those before it happens. So many of those before the big thing happens. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, the family, they have a little pet cat um, named Winston Churchill. For some reason, they call him Church. <laughs> Seems a little weird to me, but I digress. Um, they meet their new neighbor, Judd, who, uh, played by Fred Wynn, lives across the street. And basically tells them to be careful of your pets because pets get killed up here all the time getting hit by vehicles. Yes, because people drive like crazy down this road. Mostly these tankers. Yeah. Um, then uh, the little girl uh, finds a path, and Judd tells him, oh, takes him down there one day, takes the whole family, and is like, oh, this is a pet cemetery that uh, kids started mm-hmm. whenever their pets died. Which is why cemetery is misspelled. Yes. Cemetery is spelled with an S instead of a C. Which I always wondered why yeah. this movie was misspelled, <laughs> but now I know. Because kids are the ones that started the cemetery and they can't spell. Um, but which is like, it just adds such a sadness to it. It does. That like the kids came but up with this. he even said, he was like, not all the pets buried in the cemetery were hit by vehicles. Some right. of them died of old age. Some of right. them, you know. You know there was a goldfish. Things. Yeah, there was goldfish. <laughs> uh, like, so there's just this big cemetery uh, of graves. Mm-hmm. Well, at some point, old Winston Churchill gets run over. And the little girl was obsessed with this cat, basically. Yeah, it was her cat. It was her cat. She loved this cat. And the mom and the two kids were actually out of town when this happened. This is when Judd decides to tell the dad, mm-hmm. let me show you where you can bury this that might help you out. And he proceeds to take them, take him past the pet cemetery over this crazy terrain to an ancient Indian burial site. Yeah. Um, they bury the cat, and guess what? The cat comes back to life. Casual. However, it's not the same cat that they buried. Yes. Judd makes it abundantly clear, abundantly clear <laughs> that, that something changes in them. They when come this back, happens, but something changes. Yes, when this happens, they come back, but they are not themselves. He said he did it with his dog, mm-hmm. and yeah, a lot of people have done it. So, fast forward a little bit to the true tragedy of this movie. Yeah. One day, the family and Judd, because they invited Judd, mm-hmm. big, beautiful field with a picnic table. They're having, Gorgeous. Picturesque. Having, picturesque. They're having a wonderful summer day and uh, flying kites and little Gage runs out into the road and... Gets hit by a truck. Gets hit by a truck. And I will say, because I, I took some notes on this one... Um, my note at that part was this just became the worst movie ever because I don't know. Maybe it's because I work with kids that age. Yeah. I see kids that are that age every Every single single day. day. And there are some, there's little boys at my school that, you know, remind me of this little kid. And so when that happened, I was like, this movie sucks. It just like, it, it like hits, it hits too close to home, I guess. But it was, it's just so sad. It is sad. And, and that's, Part of, you know, one reason why I like horror 
I, I, I am searching for to be like just utterly terrified because I haven't found <laughs> a movie that just absolutely yeah. If you got one in mind, write terrifies in. Terrifies me. Um, there's some that come close, but there's none that I'm just like, okay, I can't sleep now. Yeah. Um, maybe when I was younger, but at this point in my life, I have not found one that I'm like, okay, I can't sleep after this. Mm-hmm. Um, I sleep just fine. <laughs> um, but I forgot where I was going with that. We were oh, talking about games. But that's, yeah, that's one thing that I kind of like about horror movies is because they don't always end happily. No. They, like. They, they're not supposed to. Yeah, there's there's a lot of movies that they put out now that... And don't get me wrong, I love a good feel-good movie. Yeah. But sometimes you just gotta have a, a dose of realism. I guess. I guess. And, like, I mean, we can blame the parents for not looking for him or not running or whatever, but at the end of the day, it is a tragedy. And these parents have felt something unimaginable. Like, I can't even imagine how mm-hmm. these parents felt after this happened. Um, but it was kind of, I just thought about this just now in this moment, kind of was foreshadowing um, at the beginning of the movie when they first got to the house and they were unloading. They just put the little boy down in the driveway yeah, and turned and around. Almost, he almost gets run over right at the beginning. Right. Kind of foreshadows what what ends up happening. Which is even more heartbreaking that, like, okay, this almost happened already. Mm-hmm. And you're going to let it happen again? Like, it's, oh, it just, it breaks your heart. I can't imagine the feeling of that um, at any age. But him being, like, two years old is like, oh, mm-hmm. geez, Louise. But anyway, okay, so those of you that are not familiar with this story, you might see where we're going with this. Yes. Um, he passes away. And they have the funeral, and it's heartbreaking and terrible. Um, the mom and the daughter leave. Leave to stay with her parents, mm-hmm. right? And he stays because he has to work, question mark? Why does well, he stay? Well, he got in a fight with the dad at the funeral. Yeah. And yeah. so that's kind of... Because they were not on good terms to begin with. Yeah. And then this happened and obviously made things worse. Okay, so he stayed. Um, and obviously is in mourning, he is grieving, he is all of the emotions, and he decides to dig up his son and take him to bury him at the burial ground to see if he will come back like the cat did. Now, remind me of this because I can't remember. Does he talk to Judd before he does this? I know he talks to Judd he before he to does Judd the before, cat. Before Gage dies... He talked to Judd. He's like, hey, anybody ever bury a, a, person. a person up there? And Judd's like, you cannot do that. Yes. Do not. So he, he's like, that, that is, you can't do that. Explicitly warns this man, do not do that. Yes. And what does he do? Oh, he, he does that. He does that. <laughs> um, and what comes back. Is not his son. While it may look like his son. Mm-mm. Is not his son. No. And it's even more heartbreaking. And then that. That's where it kind of toes the line between like. This is really sad. And this is terrifying. Like it's that at the same time. Because. <laughs> turns into a little murder child. Yeah. Um, yeah. Steals his dad's medical knife. Scalpel. As it's. Okay. More commonly. <laughs> and. Uh, first of all. This is what confused confused me. Maybe it was more like fleshed out in the books. But like he comes home first, steals his dad's scalpel, but leaves his dad alive and then goes across the street to mm-hmm. Judd's. It's weird to me. You know what I mean? It's a well, weird choice. It's because you have to feel like there's some sort of entity, entity involved with all of this. Okay. And so... That entity knows that Judd has been there for a long time, has buried things himself, knows how this works. Right, right. So now he is going to, I guess, prevent Judd from doing anything. So he he kills Judd. Okay. Yeah, no, I guess that makes sense when you explain it. Um, But yeah, he was the first one that Gage kills. Yeah. So at this point, the mom, this has been a couple of days since the mom and daughter have left. Mm-hmm. Um, the mom, because the daughter is much like the little girl in Children of the Corn. Which we did not mention. 
she, she is psychic. Yeah. She has the gift of sight. So the the little girl in Children of the Corn drew pictures. Drew pictures that told the future. And that is that's another thing that I wrote down that this has in common with the daughter has dreams. Mm-hmm. And so she's dreaming that something bad is happening to daddy and Gage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the mom flies back. Well, the mom gets lured over to Judd's place. Yeah. Because she hears him. She hears. Yeah. She hears his voice. His little Mommy. Yeah. And like laughing. Yeah. And so. She ends up getting killed by her son. By Gage. Yep. And then the dad comes over and he sees everybody's being killed. And so he kills his son. Yep. Via lethal injection. Lethal injection. Um, but we it should be mentioned that the reason why he is lured over to Judd's is because uh, his demon child can operate a phone and calls mm. him. And calls him. And says... You know, come come play with me. I played with Mr. Mm-hmm. Judd and Mommy, and now I want to play with now you. Now I want to play with you. Uh, terrifying. Yep. And so that's what brings him over to Judd's house. And um, he fights this toddler. And it is, it is also um, alluded to the fact that this child also has um, the ability to alter the reality of this man because he walks in and it's like and it's a crazy completely different yeah bro- things are broken things some of are that may be dropping the psychoses involved with you know losing a child sure but he says th- after that the house changes back to normal and then you hear gage saying um i had you there didn't i oh, or like yeah. i scared you didn't i yeah or whatever so it makes me believe that he has control over that which is also insane um so anyway, yeah, so he brings a needle uh, with him, multiple ones, yeah. which more that's the one smart decision that he made. He kills, he kills the cat, too. Yes, he does. He bring he he kills the cat again. Um, he's you think he's like realized his mistake and was like, I'm going to correct all of this. Yes. Um, but then finally, he sees, he's learned his lesson. But guess what? He doesn't. He sees his dead wife. Yep. Oh. The reason it didn't work is because I waited several days before mm-hmm. I buried Gage. She, she just, just died. died. So it'll, it'll work. work this time. It'll Ugh. work. And as an audience member, you just want to shake the TV screen. You just want to take it and you want to shake it. It's so frustrating. But again, a testament to Stephen King's storytelling that like you think it's over. It's not over. Mm-hmm. And so what does he do? He brings his dead wife up the mountain, over to the Indian burial ground, buries her, and then, of course, she comes back, and you hear the voiceover of Judd, because Judd says this multiple times. Um, something that you own is always going to come home to you. Yeah, it's like the soil of a man's soul, or soul, the soil of a man's heart is rockier. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Something. Yeah. There's a lot of good lines in this. Yeah. Um, where he says, you know... Uh, once you bury it, once you bury this whoever in the grave or in the, sorry, the burial ground, you own it. It is yours. And so that's why when the cat dies and he buries it, Judd, there's another scene where Judd is like, um, something like, oh, your cat, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, no, that's Ellie's cat. And Judd's like, no, it's, it's your, your cat. cat. Like, and so it really does bring mm-hmm. home the fact that like, once you bury things here, it is your responsibility. This is, you own it now. And so you hear Judd's voice again. Everything you own is always going to come home to you. And you hear mm-hmm. that and the door opens and it's the zombie wife looking all kinds of messed up. But then they kiss and I'm like, gross, breath mint. Okay. <laughs> um, but then it's such like typical, I mean, I say this as like not a horror movie enthusiast. So correct me if I'm wrong, but like seems like a very typical horror movie ending of like, her they're making out and she's like darling and he's so excited and he's like happy crying and they're like making out and they love each other and she just picks up the knife from the kitchen table and raises it but then it cuts to black and you hear him scream you don't see it yeah. it's just like an ah and then it's the end seemed very like it's in case they wanted to make a sequel which they did they did there's a pet cemetery too I what happens in that one i don't know oh i okay. haven't seen it i mean it was such like I said, it was definitely scarier than Children of the Corn. And, I mean, I've only seen a handful of horror movies up till this point. But this is up there with one of the scarier ones for me. 
Um, but it's also one of the like best stories that I've seen. Mm, like well, I really, really enjoyed it story wise. Um, and like, I mean, I'm super, like I said, I've, I've read a ton of like murder mystery novels and stuff like that. But again, I love all the like silly procedural mm-hmm. crime shows and like true crime and like all of this stuff I'm super into. And so story wise, I really, really enjoyed it, but that's not to say that it wasn't real scary and really sad. Yeah. Really sad. I mean, can you think of a horror movie with that kind of like heartbreak and sadness in it? I know obviously a lot of the villains are humanized with their backstory that are that are really, really sad. But like, I don't know. There's I mean, it was just real sad. I definitely can. I don't I definitely can think of a couple that are like up at this level or more or more. Okay, gotcha. Um, That's crazy. Overall, you enjoyed both of these. Overall, I did enjoy both of them more than I thought I would. I don't think that I would watch Children of the Corn again. Okay. It's one of those like, all right, I get it. Okay. I didn't dislike it. Um, I think I would watch Pet Cemetery again in a while. Like, <laughs> I don't want to watch it again tomorrow. But once I've like emotionally recovered, I would, I would definitely watch it again. I, I appreciated it. Um, I have a couple of... Um, fun facts. Let me make sure that I went through all my notes though. Um, yeah. Oh, um, Stephen King makes a cameo in this one. He does. He plays the preacher, um, or the reverend or, or whatever, um, in someone's funeral. It's the, or the, the maids. Okay. I have a question before we get any further, because maybe you can shed some light on this for me. What purpose does her character serve? And I'm not being mean or anything like that, but like in terms of the story, like she spends half the movie with a stomach ache and she's Mm -hmm. like complaining about her being sick. And she's like, Oh, I don't know. blah 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 blah. And then finally she pins a note to her shirt that says, I have cancer. I don't want to take it anymore Mm -hmm. and passes away. She commits suicide. Um, And then they talk about her. And then that's it. And they move on. So I'm wondering, like, thematically what her purpose is. I couldn't tell you that. I think she was just a character. And, like, that was just another thing that happened. Layer of trauma that happens to them. Yeah, something that just brings down the, I guess, creates more heartbreak in this town kind of a situation. Um, But, yeah, I was curious about that. I was like... I. Cause I thought she was going to come around or that she was going to be bare. You know what I mean? Like, but it was, I was like, Oh, so anyway, um, yeah, that was my initial question. Um, he makes a cameo. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Yeah. (laughs) My last two notes were in all caps. You were warned, sir. (laughs) Why would you do this? And then the next one is, this is insanity. The wife too, with a bunch of exclamation points. And so I, I was shook by the ending. Suffice it to say. Um, But again, it was very cool. All right. A couple of fun facts. And then we've got some real quick trivia and it'll be done. Um, Okay. So uh, Stephen King was present on location for most of the shooting of this film because the area that it was shot was only 20 minutes away from his house. Because um, everything's in Maine, right? I was going to say in Bangor, Maine. Yeah. He, he, all of his books take place in like Maine. The, or like the Midwest, basically. Well, I know Maine is not the Midwest, but it's very like that kind of feel. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Children of the Corn happened in Nebraska, but yeah. a lot of his stuff takes place in Maine or the, the Northeast. Because mm, okay. that's where he is from. Um, so you know how when we were talking about Children, blah, blah, Children of the Corn, I talked about the Easter eggs that Stephen King leaves mm-hmm. in his other movies and books. So... Um, Judd mentions, oh, I'm sorry, it, this is in the novel, so I'm not sure if it was mentioned in the movie, but in the novel Pet Cemetery, Judd mentions that a dog went wild in a nearby town and killed several people. This is a reference, of course, to Cujo, another oh, novel by yeah. Stephen King. So it says, it is common for characters in King's novels to mention the events of his oh, other novels, other novels so. which is just so cool, man. It's just awesome. Um, okay, I wanted to talk about this at the beginning of us talking about Pet Cemetery. Um, this was a female director, Mary Lambert, which is I, I just think is cool. Like, I, again, I'm not super well-versed in horror movies, but I think it's cool that a female directed something so crazy. 
there's a lot of female directors I'm sure there in, are. in horror movies. Yeah, no, I'm sure there are. But in, in terms of percentages of female directors to male directors just in general, yeah. they're just not not as many. So I just think that's really cool. So shout out Mary Lambert. Um, this was her second feature film. She was better known for her work directing music videos. She did uh, the Madonna music video for Material Girl and Like a Prayer. Huh. And I was like, that's awesome. Those those are two like iconic music videos. Um, okay, so, oh, she also said, this is another fun fact, but Mary Lambert said that Fred Gwynn was her first and only choice for the role of Judd. Like, she would not accept anybody else. That was her first choice. Mm. Rightfully so. Like, he did a great job. Um, so, during the film, the character Judd, played by Fred Gwynn, mentions that he had a pet. Do you remember what his dog's name was? Spot. Do you know why? Why his dog was named Spot? Do you remember the name of the pet dragon on the Munsters? It was Spot too, wasn't it? Isn't that fun? That's fun. I was like, that's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. Um, so apparently we talked about this, that Ellie, the um, oldest daughter, was psychic. Um, and she, I guess, is more psychic in the book. There's like a bunch of other instances and like her like outwardly knowing that she is psychic in the book. So in the movie, Mm. it was just her like having dreams kind of a thing because I guess they didn't have time. Probably not. Um, But anyways, um, are you ready for some triv? Yeah, let's get to it. Let's do it. Um, Okay, so for you, I have two sections. The second section is going to be pretty quick. The first section is just regular trivia on these two movies. Here we go. Number one. I think you just said this. In what U.S. state does Children of the Corn take place? Nebraska. Nebraska. Have you ever been to Nebraska? I've not been to Nebraska. I have. I went to a theater conference there. There were not any, I did not see any corn or children. But anyway. Um, number. You were a child. Well, in high school. Still a child. I guess. Number two. How do the children poison Mr. Hansen's customers at the beginning? How do they do it? Through what? Oh, uh, they uh, poison the coffee. Yes. Correct. Very good. Number three. What board game do Job and Sarah play? Oh, um, they're playing Monopoly. Very good. Correct. Number four. There is a character from each of these two movies that share a profession. Who are they and what profession is it? Um. Oh, uh, Bert and the dad are both doctors. Very good. Good job. Good job. His name's Lewis, by the way. Lewis. Okay. Um. Yeah. Good job. Both of the main characters, the main male characters in these movies, are both doctors, which I think is pretty funny. Um. Number five. Uh. This is. A giveaway. What is the family cat's name in Pet Cemetery? Winston Churchill. Church for short. Church for short. Very good. Um, number six. What ailment is Missy suffering from at the beginning of this movie? This is Missy? the maid. Oh, okay. What's wrong with her? She uh, is having stomach aches. Yes. Very good. Um, good. Okay. Number seven. What did Rachel's sister Zelda pass away from? Creepy sister. Yeah. She had a stroke or something? She had spinal bifida. Yeah, there's... Or spinal degeneration disease, withering disease, or something like that. Meningitis. Spinal meningitis? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, last question. There are characters in each of these movies that possess the gift of sight. Who are they and in what way? We just said this. The daughter and... Is it Sarah? Sarah from Children of the Corn and Ellie. Ellie. From Pet Cemetery. Yeah. And how are they psychic? Like, what do they do? Oh, one of them draws pictures mm-hmm. and the other one has dreams. Good. Nice. You killed that. Nice. <laughs> okay. So this second section, I did not try to do anything fancy with. Um, this one is simply called Corn or Cemetery. Um, there are quotes, and you're just going to have to tell me. You don't have to tell me who said them. 
You're just going to have to tell me if this quote is from Children of the Corn or from Pet Cemetery. Okay. All right. Number one. Any religion without love and compassion is false. It's a lie. That is corn. Very good. Um, I really liked that line, by mm-hmm. the way. Uh, number two. We want to give you peace. I'm going to say that's corn as well. Correct. Very good. That was creepy. Because yeah. that was when they were in the house. When in the house. And the yeah. girlfriend was like, what do you want? And he's want just like, we peace. want to give you peace. And I'm like, ugh crazy um okay number three piece of what piece of what uh number three sometimes dead is better oh that's fred gwen Mm -hmm. he says that uh, a couple times a couple times yeah that's cemetery yep very good that's another good line um because you're like what (laughs) like out of context you're like what um number four don't ever show up in my emergency room buddy I'm going to say corn. Yes. Good job. Yeah. I wanted to do a doctor quote because there are both doctors yeah. in these movies. Good job. Um, number five, speaking of which, I always thought it would be lucky to marry a doctor. Guess I'll never be lucky. Hell, I ain't married to anyone. Oh, that was uh, Linda Hamilton in corn. It's actually from Pet Cemetery. Missy says it. The maid. Oh. Tells that's the wife. A good one. Thank yeah, you. That's a good one. Thank you. Um, all right, last one. A man doesn't always know why he does things. Um, a man doesn't always cemetery. know why he does things. Yeah, pet cemetery. That's another Fred. Uh, I was about to say that sounds like another. He had all the good he, lines. Yeah, he had all the like philosophical <laughs> yes. deep lines. Yes, dude, and he did a great job with it. You killed trivia today. I did okay. Very good. Very good. Well, folks, that is the end of our discussion on our Stephen King double feature this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, we had to rent both of these. No, we uh, found Children of the Corn on Tubi. Oh, that's right. Which you can free. download for free. Not sponsored. And then we had to rent. Yeah, we rented Pet, uh, Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Okay. Um, yeah, check these out if you guys are horror fans. Even if you're not horror fans, I could handle it. So just take that. Take with that what you will. Um and now it's time to announce the next week's episode of our June series. Would you like to do the honors? Yes. Next week we will be talking about Cabin in the Woods. Yes. And I am very excited for this. This is actually, this might be the only movie. Ah, no, The Babysitter. I was going to say it might be the only movie that I've seen this yeah. month. Yeah. But I saw The Babysitter. Um, this is a... I mean, kind of like a horror comedy. It's a dark, dark comedy, dark horror comedy. It's it's there are comedic parts, but right. it is a horror movie. Right. Um, the cast is really, really awesome. And Joss Whedon wrote it. Yeah. So I'm super excited. You we, know we, that we, we are love Joss Whedon over here. I was going to say uh, we are huge Joss Whedon fans in this house. So at, super at excited. TMF Castle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um so come on back next week for Cabin in the Woods. Other than that, do you have anything else? Uh, that's all I got. Alrighty. I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your week. Bye-bye now, y'all. Bye.